faith. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. It is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of not, things not seen. I tapped on my word processor to the thesaurus, and it said, belief in a supernatural power or powers that control human destiny, or complete confidence in a person or plan, or an institution to express belief in divine power. Then I went to my bookshelf and opened up my Funk and Wagnalls dictionary, and I opened it up to see how long I've had it. Copyright was 1973. It says this, it has five or six, um, belief without evidence. Faith is belief without evidence. Two, confidence or dependence on a person, statement, or thing as trustworthy. Number three, belief in God or the testimony of God as revealed in Scripture. Four, a doctrine or system of doctrines, propositions held to be true. Number five, anything given adherence or credence. Number six, allegiance or loyal adherence to something, faithfulness, to pledge faith in a venture. Faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. How important is faith? Hebrews 11.6 says this, without faith it is what? impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. My mind went to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, where the apostle writes to us, And without, or, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You cannot work your way to heaven. You cannot buy your way to heaven. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. It is only through faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. And it's God who gives you that faith in the first place to embrace that grace. Faith is the foundation of our relationship with God. Faith is the pathway to our salvation and eternal life. We call this place, this house, Faith Family Christian Center. The founders named it Faith Temple. A place where we gather to express our mutual faith in the living God and the Word of God. Faith. Last Sunday morning, we looked at the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12 in our ongoing study. In chapter 12, we begin the narrative concerning the one that Paul calls the father of faith, a man named Abram, a man who had been an idol worshiper in Ur of the Chaldeans until he had a God encounter. And God came to him 
revealed himself in his glory and said to Abram, I want you to leave your country, I want you to leave your kindred, and I want you to leave your father and go to a land that I will show you. Let's read it in verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. In the message last Sunday morning, we made this comment. Abram shows us what true faith does. Abram shows us what true faith does. Now we've talked two or three weeks in a row about Abraham and Sarah living in a city where the God of choice seems to have been Nana, the moon god. But God in his grace revealed something of his glory to this man that caused him to change his whole belief system, his whole faith system, and to put his faith in the one that he will later call the living God who created it all. Why would God call an idol worshiper? Well, first reason is that God's not willing that any should perish. He was concerned about Abram and Sarah's eternal soul. Not only was he concerned about their souls, he was concerned about your soul and my soul. And he chose that man to be the source for a family that would bring into the world the Messiah, the one who would save everyone who calls on his name. He chose him, he said, I will bless you. Why? So that you can be a blessing. And then as I read the New Testament, God chose Abram to be an example for you and me and what it means to live a life by faith, to walk by faith. Mistakes and all. He was not perfect. And I'm thankful for that. Because if he was perfect, if David was perfect, if Paul was perfect, then I'm in trouble. But by the grace of God, he took him on a journey. I'm going to give you an outline to a message. I'm not going to preach this message, just an outline. Okay? You can go home. I've given you the verses to look at, and you can put the meat on this and come back and preach it next Sunday. (laughs) Abraham was saved by faith. He was saved by faith. Genesis 15, 6 says that. Romans 4, 1 through 5 says that. In Galatians 3, 6 through 14. Paul takes great time with the Romans and the Galatians to point out it wasn't his works that saved him. It wasn't because he circumcised his flesh. It was because he circumcised his heart and put his faith in Jesus Christ and in God's plan of salvation. He not only was saved by faith, he lived by faith. He lived by faith in Hebrews 11, 8 through 19. You read the summary of his life, a life of faith. His obedience was the evidence of his faith. His obedience, when you're going back to Romans and Galatians, you come to this, his obedience. Remember, James said, faith without works 
stinks. It's dead. He said, you're not saved by your works, but because I've been saved, I have works to prove that I have been saved, that I've been put my faith in God. The second part of the sermon is this. Abraham obeyed when he did not know. Four things he did not know. He did not know where he was going. God said, to a land that I will show you. We don't say any place where God told him until he got there that now you're there. He didn't know where. He didn't know how. God said, I will make of you a great nation. I will make you the father of all kinds of people. And at that point in time, they were childless. Sarai was barren. He didn't know how it was going to happen. Not only that, he did not know when. He did not know when. God said, you're going to have children. 24 years later, they still have no children. He didn't know where. He didn't know how. He didn't know when. It seems to me that scripture talks about they thought they were as good as dead when it came to having procreation issues. Um, They didn't know where, how, when, or why. They didn't know why. Lots of things they didn't know. But he obeyed, even though he didn't know where, how, when, or why. And the last note for this sermon that we're not preaching today is this. And so should we. And so should we. If God said it, that settles it. Amen? That's kind of weak. If God said it, that settles it, right? Okay? Easy to say, isn't it? Abraham and Sarai were not perfect. And they made some choices that led to some consequences. Consequences that are still going on today. But for the most part, we would say that they came to the point where their lives were marked by faith and faithfulness. George Morrison wrote in, in his writings that the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. A series of new beginnings. Seems to me I read it somewhere in the scripture. A righteous man falls seven times, but he always gets up. New beginnings. Abram shows up what it looks like to live by faith. Abram's life shows us that no test is impossible and no failure is permanent. No test is impossible and no failure is permanent. Because our God is long-suffering, merciful, and loving. And he does not deal with us according to our sins in this day of grace. And aren't you thankful for that? New beginnings. Roman numeral number one. We gave this in the message last week, and I told you I had four or five more. But just to remind you, true faith believes the bare word of God. True faith believes the bare word of God. All he had was what God told him. Leave your home, leave your country, and go where you, I show you, and I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing. 
you need to know this. Faith is not based on feeling. Faith is not based on feeling. Even though there are times that feeling is a part of my faith in God. That's not what creates my faith. Because feelings will come and go. My faith is based upon the Word of God. God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, if you do this, I will do these things for you and through you. Joseph Parker, in his writings, wrote this, Great lives are trained by great promises. Great lives are trained by great promises. That was true for Abraham and Sarai, who became Abraham and Sarah. The covenant that God made with them gave them the faith and the strength for a lifelong journey that God called them to take. We are not saved by making promises to God. We are saved by believing God's promises to us. And I forgot to put that on the screen. Sorry about that. We are not saved by making promises to God. We are saved by believing God's promises to us. Now, I know people who said, God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this. I know a man who said, God, if you do this for me, I'll sing in the Faith Family, Faith Family Choir every time there's a choir. Has been back since. And God did what they asked. But we're not, good. we're not saved by our promises. We're saved by believing the promises God made to us. So we read in verse 1 of chapter 12, Go from your country, your kin, immediate family, for I will show you. Verse 4 says, So Abram went. Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith he obeyed when he was called to go out to a place, not knowing where he was going. True faith steps out on the Word of God. True faith steps out on the Word of God. So verse 4 says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Verse 5 says, And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, then it goes to the next verse. Now there's a lot of details in this story that have become the source of great speculation and numerous sermons based on assumptions based upon what we read in the last part of chapter 11, where Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and they went together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to Haran, they settled there. We read in, in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is giving his defense to the Jewish Sanhedrin for preaching Jesus Christ, he talks about that God spoke again to Abram, and in Haran, when his father died, and told him to go. And so, I've heard preachers, I heard Jack Hayford preach on this once, made all of us really feel guilty about not quickly following through and doing what God had told us to do, that he would make compromise somehow. Maybe, I don't know. What I do know this is that the journey from Ur to Haran by foot or donkey or camel, was hundreds of miles. It was a long trip. 
And if you, if you have a study Bible like my ESV study Bible that has a picture in it, it'll give you a map and shows you that they went mostly northwest a long ways from Ur to get to Haran. And then when his father died, and God spoke to him again, then they go almost directly south as they uh, parallel the Mediterranean Sea and they end up finally where God had intended for him to go in the first place. The point that I get from this delay of getting there, the first steps of faith are not always giant steps. The first steps of faith are not always giant steps. For whatever reason, Abram left Ur, but he didn't leave his kin. He didn't leave his father's house. They came with him. But before it was all said and done, God brought Abram to a place where he was able to trust God at his word and obey totally, explicitly, implicitly, whatever word or adjective you want to give to it. When we get to Genesis 22, we'll show you the maturity of his faith. Totally obeyed God when God spoke. God tests us in order to build our faith and bring out the best in us. God tests us in order to build our faith and bring out the best in us. Now, the, James says God does not tempt us because that's not his nature. But I want you to know that God allows tests to come our way. In fact, when we get to Genesis 22, it's going to say God tested Abram or Abraham. God tests us. Why would God test us? So we can see what we've learned or what we haven't learned. We have a lot of several school teachers, administrators in our congregation, and they always gave tests to their students, partly because the state mandates at some point you've got to give them a test of this. But part of it was to see what the students have learned and also to see whether or not that teacher is teaching anything. So if a teacher gives a test and everybody in the class flunks, what's that mean about the teacher? But God, he's not testing to see if he's done the right teaching. He's testing to help us to see if we've learned anything to mature our faith. Now the devil, he comes to tempt you, but not to build you up, but to steal, kill, and destroy Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and to have it abundantly. The life of faith demands separation from anything that comes between me and the Lord. The life of faith demands separation from anything that comes between me and the Lord. That's why God said, I want you to leave your country, leave your kindred, leave your father's house. When we become born again, we're made new creatures. All things pass away. Which means there's things in our life from our past, before that moment we came to life in Jesus Christ, that we need to leave in our past. 
We might need to leave them back there in order to keep Jesus the main focus of our life. Living for Him, living for His glory, fulfilling our destiny as a child of God, doing the works that He's created before time for us to do. Next point is this, true steps, faith, step, true faith steps out on the Word of God, leaning on God's Word alone. His Word, His character, His will, and His power. True faith steps out on the Word of God, leaning on God's Word alone. My hope is built on nothing less He knows the song, okay? His word, his character, his will, his power. True faith makes my relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, the first and foremost relationship of my life. We talked about it last week in the message where Jesus talked about the cost of discipleship. If a man would follow me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me daily. He said, if you love your father, your mother, your brother, your sister more than me, then you're not worthy of me. Now, he's not telling you not to love your parents, not to love your family, but he's saying you need to prioritize your life and make God number one. Make your relationship with Jesus Christ number one. And the fact is, the more you love him, the more you're going to love your family. The more you love him, the easier it is to get, to get along with those family members that irritate you. I better move on. True faith follows wherever God's word directs. True faith follows wherever God's word directs. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Now I'm going to back up just a moment. Abram left Ur with his father Terah and Lot and his family, and they parked in Haran. I don't see that there was any sign from heaven that Haran is where you're supposed to stop. But that's where they parked. A Puritan preacher in the 17th century by the name of Thomas Fuller said, All mankind was divided in three groups. There's the intenders, the endeavorers, and the performers. He placed Terra in the intenders category. He started out with the intention of making the full journey, but didn't do it. Intenders. Jesus talked about that last week in one of our scriptures when he said, if you put your hand to the plow and turn back, you're not going to make the kingdom. Intenders. He said, then there's the endeavorers. He placed Lot in the endeavors. He endeavored to walk by faith. But he had a hard time following through. He ends up moving down towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he puts Abram and Sarai. They became performers because they trusted God to fulfill His promises that He made to them, and they came to the place where they were all in. Which brings me to the next bullet point in your notes. Faith demands commitment. 
Faith demands commitment. There came a day when God called out to Abraham again. Remember Stephen in Acts 7-4, that God removed him from Haran, said, I want you to go to this place. They made the commitment to continue the journey wherever it was God wanted them to be. Commitment. Seems to me that we're living in a culture that the concept of commitment is disappearing. A whole lot of people who do not want to be committed to a particular job. People do not want to be committed to a marriage. They don't want to be committed to anybody else. I want to do life my way. I want to do what's best for me. I want to do what makes me feel good, makes me feel comfortable. What makes me look good? What makes me a winner? Now, I know you don't all watch sports, but I do watch an occasional game. Um, and there's, over the last, I don't know, decade, 15 years, there's something going on in pro sports, and now it's in college sports, that just irritates me to no, death, to no end. A man who has been paid millions of dollars to play a kid's game will say to the management who's paying him millions of dollars, this team stinks, and I'm too good for here. You need to trade me to a team that's going to win me a Super Bowl ring or an NBA ring or a World Series ring or a Stanley Cup. I don't know what they give for the soccer. I don't watch that one. And these people, I'm a star. I don't deserve to be here. I deserve to be someplace where I can, I can be the best. College. Nowadays, when you're watching a college game, you'll hear the commentator say, and last year he played for that team he's playing against today. I, I don't understand how a young man has been recruited by a college and says, we will pay you to come and get an education if you play on our team. And they're getting paid, their school is paid for. I don't like this team, I don't like this coach. I want to find one I like. I'm out of here. And they go into whatever they call that portal. Now I could go on for, and you know that has nothing to do with but you know what? That's infiltrated into the church at large. I'm not talking about this church. <laughs> the church at large. Fewer and fewer people want to make commitments to a body. I want to be entertained. I want to be my spiritual funny bone tickled. And if it's, I'll go find, and then move on. Too many people who don't want to commit to a lifetime of ministry within the church. There's this terrible phenomenon that's going on in, in many evangelical, most evangelical denominations across the nation where there's a real shortage of young people who are saying, I want to serve God 
in vocational ministry. I feel the call of ministry. And I don't think it's because God's not calling. I think because there's a lack of commitment. There are young men coming out of Bible school say, well, I'll work for you if you give me $75,000 a year and an IRA that's going to pay me and you guarantee me a housing allowance on top of all of that. Um, commitment. Faith demands commitment. Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. He had spent enough time in Haran, and maybe he brought some with him from Ur the Chaldees, but he has this rather large entourage of, of, of servants and, I don't know, slaves, because um, he got herds and flocks that he needed to be taken care of. He seems to be a very astute businessman and, and investing in things that just grow. And so he has all these people around him. Some scholars believe that when he was in Iran, he was so excited about his new faith in this new God, Yahweh, that he shared his faith with people there, and they were enamored, and they fell in love with this God too, and they said, we're going to go wherever you go. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the way some people look at it. Verse 6, chapter 12 said, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. First observation from this paragraph, true faith demands that we be pilgrims in this world, that we live as pilgrims. When Abram got to Canaan, he had a life moving from one place to another to another. He pitched his tent. And that's the way he lived, as far as I can tell, the rest of his life as a sojourner moving from here to there. And part of that is because later on, when God reiterates the covenant with him, he says to him, look to the north, the south, the east, the west. Wherever you put your foot, that will be your children's inheritance forever. Wherever you walk. So he lived as this pilgrim. He lived like an alien in the land, knowing that his family's inheritance depended on his faith. Look what the writer of Hebrews says about Abram. Though God had promised him real estate, he saw that it was temporary. He was looking for something beyond. Verse 9 of chapter 11, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I'll give you this land, but he lived as a traveler. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, when he was incarcerated in Rome, waiting his day in court with Caesar, he wrote to the people in Philippi, Live as citizens 
of the kingdom of God. Now that would be especially pertinent to them because they were living in a Roman colony, the city of Philippi, though it was not in Italy. Roman soldiers who had been retired moved to that city, and that city became a Roman colony. And the citizens, who were Roman citizens, lived a whole different life than the people who were not citizens. Most of them were slaves. So he says to these people, you need to live in this world today like you are a citizen of heaven. A citizen of heaven. He reminded them in chapter 3, verse 20, there is coming a day when we see our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, face to face and be transformed from mortal to immortality. But between now and then, live like a citizen of heaven. Abram lived with that heavenly goal in mind. He endeavored to live in a manner that declared his faith in God. He, he lived in a manner that declared there's more than meets the eye. The ultimate reward is to be where God is forever. God brought Abram to the land of Canaan. Abram spent the next hundred years traveling around that land by faith. I want you to know Canaan is a picture of our spiritual journey. It is a picture of our spiritual journey. Sometimes people equate the land of Canaan with heaven. There's some gospel songs that talk about Canaan being heaven. Um, my, one of my uncle's favorite songs uh, has to do with that. It's an old hymn. It's a, it's a hymn I, I sang at my aunt's service, memorial service. And um, I believe I sang it at one of my grandparents, other grandparents' um, services too. But when my uncle was in the hospital a little over a year ago, and then they were told he's got two or three days to live, um, I got out my phone and I recorded that song so he could hear it because if they wanted that song at his funeral he wasn't going to hear it so I just recorded and sent it to him late one Saturday night and I got a text message back a few minutes later from my cousin that he loved it and he appreciated it but the, the song is I won't have to cross Jordan alone some glad day and it talks about that when I cross the Jordan River and go out, and they equate it with heaven. But Canaan is not heaven. Canaan was a land where there was all kinds of enemies. There were things that had to be possessed, things that had to be driven away, things that had to be eliminated. When Moses, or when Joshua finally brings the people into the land of Canaan, they are commanded to go in and take the land and to wipe out those Canaanite nations. Right here today, this is not our final home. We're just a passing through. We are to live counter to the culture. We are to live like citizens of heaven. People who have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit have a hope in eternal life in Jesus Christ. 
Colossians says this in chapter 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is who, who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I'm looking for a city whose designer and builder's God. Verse 6 said, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Canaanites were in the land. That statement is like a great big caution sign. We drove to um, Boise, Idaho, Nampa, Idaho, a few weeks ago and, and back. And when you're driving Highway 84 in Oregon on your way to Idaho, you're going through the Blue Mountains, there's two or three places where there will be a huge sign, not just one of those little caution signs, but a huge sign. Caution, curves ahead, slow down. And uh, that's what this is. When it says they're Canaanites, we're in the land. A life of faith will bring you to places of opposition. If somebody told you being a Christian will lead you into a life of ease, they lied. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow is the gate, and hard is the way. You have an enemy, the Canaanites. There will be those who, who will malign you, misunderstand you, judge you, reject you. Canaanites. Shechem, if you look on the map of the ancient world, Shechem appears to be right in the heart of the land that they called Canaan. And perhaps it's significant that Moses tells us Abram passed through the land to the oak of Morah. Morah means teacher or orator. Some teachers, some traditions tell us the oak of Morah was a place where the Canaanite people in the vicinity would come, and there would be some philosopher there or fortune teller there who would listen to the rustling of the leaves of the oak tree and tell you your life fortune. <laughs> Idolatry. Idolatry. Abram had left the land of idolatry, and he ends up in a place where they're still worshiping man-made deities. But when he is there, verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. It has been a long time from the first time that God appeared to him. But Abram's faith led to another God encounter. His commitment to do what God said, his obedience brought him to the place where God manifested something of his glory. God appeared to him. Now, I don't know how he appeared, whether it was a shimmering cloud 
like when he came down on the tabernacle in Moses' day, or whether it was a theophany, like later on when three men come to have lunch with Abram. But he knows God has spoken, God is here, and God says, you finally made it. This is where I've called you to be. I will give this land to your offspring. And remember at that point, he has none. I will make of you a great nation. Number five, true faith builds altars and worship wherever it goes. True faith builds altars and worship wherever it goes. So he built the, an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abram the pilgrim became Abram the builder. But he was not a builder like Cain or Nimrod who built cities. He was not like the people at the Tower of Babel who built a great tower where they were going to ascend to heaven and put another God on top of it. Abram built an altar. Just like Noah when he got off the ark after the flood, he built an altar. He took stones and stacked them on top of each other and laid a sacrifice on it. And most likely that sacrifice was one that was totally consumed by the fire as he is saying, God, I am totally committed to you. This animal represents my heart and my life. I am totally committed to you. Verse 8 says this, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. My understanding is Bethel was about 21 miles south of Shechem. And Abram set up his tent right between these two cities. A mile to Bethel on the west and a mile to Ai on the east. You see, by this time, he's a rather large group of people. Later on, we're going to read that he had 300 and some soldiers trained for battle when he goes after the people who took Lot and the people of the city. And not only that, but Lot and his family and all of their herds and flocks, they make a pretty good, and so when it says there's a mile on either side, it's probably like a suburb of the cities on either side. As you read on in the story, Abraham built an altar when he got to Hebron. He built an altar on Mount Moriah. The only architecture that was left when Abram died, that he built, was altars. He did not build a house. He did not build a palace. He lived in tents. But he had these moments when he built an altar and reaffirmed his commitment to the covenant that God made with him. He laid it all on the altar. Bethel was the home of an important Canaanite sanctuary for their idol or God they called El. They claimed that he would be the head of their pantheon. The Canaanite people, pantheon means they had numerous gods, polytheistic. And you, the sun god, moon god, rain god, harvest god, corn god, bean god, I don't know. They had gods for everything. None of their gods were big enough to take care of everything. And so, but they had the sanctuary to El. Abram was so moved by his God encounters, he didn't seem to care who these people were worshiping. He built an altar to Yahweh. 
the one that we later on, he proclaims, he proclaims he is the only and living God, the one and only, who created everything. He built an altar and he called on the name of the Lord. If you look at the Hebrews, that could be translated this way. Abraham proclaimed the name of the Lord. He proclaimed his faith. Martin, Martin Luther translated it, he preached the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord, proclaiming the name of the Lord would mean that he was extolling the great uh, attributes, the mighty works of God. Calling on the name of the Lord indicates that he was dependent on God for his direction. Calling on the name of the Lord was a testimony to all of his neighbors where his faith lie, where his focus was, where his strength came from. God had promised Abram, Abram, I will make your name great. How did Abram respond to that promise? Abram responded by doing what he could to make the name of the Lord great, to make the name of the Lord famous, to exalt the name of the Lord in the midst of spiritual darkness, which was trying to block out the light of God's grace and mercy and love. He began to proclaim the name of the Lord. True faith proclaims the name of the Lord. True faith proclaims the name of the Lord. Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, told us, we are to have this mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be evil with God, because he was God. Yet he made of himself no reputation. He emptied himself. He became obedient unto death on the cross. And then we read in verse 9 of chapter 2, Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Verse 11 says, And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ to the glory of God. Every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I didn't pick the worship music for this morning. My wife did. Glorify your name. Worthy of it all. Christmas is here. And if you read the Christmas story, you hear the Christmas story. You come to the Christmas worship musical. You're going to hear the words that the angel Gabriel said to Mary. You're going to have a child. You'll be the son of God. And you're going to call his name Jesus. Joseph, when he heard that she's pregnant and he had nothing to do with it, he's thinking, I'm going to put her away quietly and divorce her. 
The angel appears to him in the dream and said, it's of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be okay. And when this child is born, you will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus. The mere mention of his name can calm the storm. Heal the broken. Raise the dead. At the name of Jesus, I've seen hardened men melted, derelicts transformed. The lights of hope put in the eyes of a hopeless child. At the name of Jesus, hatred and bitterness turn to love and forgiveness. Arguments cease. I've heard a mother softly breathe his name at the bedside of a child delirious from fever and watched as that little body grew quiet, the fevered brow cool. I've sat by the side of a dying saint, her body racked with pain, who in those final fleeting seconds summoned her last ounce of ebbing strength just to whisper earth's sweetest name, Jesus, Jesus. Emperors have tried to destroy it. Philosophies have tried to stamp it out. Tyrants have tried to wash it from the face of the earth with the very blood of those who claimed it. Yet, it still stands. And there should be that final day when every voice that has ever uttered a sound, every voice of Adam's race, shall rise in one mighty chorus to proclaim the name of Jesus. For in that day every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is truly Lord. You see, it was not by mere chance that caused the angel one night long ago to say to a virgin maiden, His name, His name shall be called Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. He's my master,
Jesus, Jesus. Oh, there's something about that name. Jesus. As I was thinking about April, in the midst of the culture, calling on the name of the Lord. And I thought about what Jesus said to you and me. I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you ask in my name, giants to be taken out, walled cities to be destroyed in the spirit realm. And the way that I felt the Lord inspired me to end the service this morning is we're going to speak the name of Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus.
speak the name of Jesus over you. And here's how I want to do it. Said Abraham, built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. We call this front part of the church the altar area, the place where we come and bow our knee. If any one of those speaks to you today in your particular need, we ask all of us to stand as we sing it. But if you need a need, you have a need in your life, in your family's life, that we need to speak Jesus over, why don't you just come and stand in the front, make an altar before the Lord? As the Apostle Peter said to the crippled man, I don't have any silver, I don't have any gold, but in the name of Jesus, rise up. Thank you, Lord, for your healing power being released in these moments. 
Lord, I thank you as I speak the name of Jesus over hearts that are filled with anxiety, stress, worry, fear. Those things don't come from you. They come from the enemy who would do his best to intimidate us in this world that we live in. But I speak Jesus who gives us power and love to sound mind. Thank you, Jesus, for the peace that passes all understanding as we bring our requests before you with thanksgiving in our hearts. You surround our mind with a garrison of peace that cannot be impregnated because it's your peace, not the world's peace. Lord, I pray for those in our family bound by addiction. Lord, we pray that you break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. In the name of Jesus, set people free, set people free. Lord, we pray for the salvation of our loved ones. Paul said to the Philippian jailer, who said, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household. Lord, we pray for our household. We pray for our children. We pray for our spouses. Lord, we pray for our siblings. Lord, that the Holy Spirit would awaken them, call them from the dead as it were. Lord, that it would bring them to you there would be that moment when they would say, yes, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, and I bow my knee to confess that and call you my Lord. Come into my heart and my life and forgive me this. Lord, I speak the name of Jesus over every circumstance that we face, understanding that you have promised all things work together. Those who of God are called according to his purpose. Because you have a purpose in it, and that is to conform us to the image of your firstborn Son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We speak the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for this house that we would be like Abraham. Wherever we would go, we would proclaim the name of Jesus. By the way we talk, by the way we act, by the way we live, we would make the name of Jesus famous in this day and age because what this world needs more than anything else is Jesus. 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 Thank you, Lord, that you gave us the authority to use that. To pray that your kingdom come, that your will be done on earth as it is. Thank you, Jesus. I pray your blessing upon each person here and those watching online today. Your grace, your mercy, and your love is shining on them. Thank you for being here today and enduring.